fellow soldiers, I'm the Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. This morning's briefing is about the difference between promises and posture. Now, the thumbnail for this video may show you Donald Trump and Joe Biden, but there's a lot more arenas where this kind of thing is relevant. I've long said that there's three arenas of society that black folks just don't handle very well. Religion, politics, and entertainment, which includes sports, by the way. This is why I'm not real big on discussing things like TV shows and movies and pop culture, because black people already overdose on those things now, and worse than that, we look at it in such a facile, superficial way. We start off talking about Kyrie Irving flipping the script on Josiah, and before you know it, I got folks in the comments section talking about how the Brooklyn Nets need to bring in another point guard, who's going to be the top pick in the draft, and oh, who's going to go all the way to the championship this year? Goes off the rails real quick. But the same thing goes for the Oscars. We start off talking about black people not being in control of our images and how award shows are used to credentialize anti-black figures and propaganda. And before you know it, people are talking about how great thus and so actor is and what movie should have won Best Picture. We forget that these awards are meaningless, except to the extent that the white media can shape or rather mangle public perception about what is worthy in the public mind. But they put a lot of time and effort into building the prestige of getting their award because it's the only ceremony that acts as if getting a gold statuette is akin to having a coronation. It's all very seductive, intentionally so, but it's not substantive. Recognition is important, and that's about the only saving grace that these award shows have. But recognition means nothing without power, and their awards don't give us any power. I posted yesterday how Angela Bassett was snubbed for an Oscar yet again, no surprise. And if you were surprised by that, I don't know what to do with you. Of course, she wasn't going to win. The Academy and the white media have been telegraphing that one from a mile away. But we all know the real reason Angela Bassett hasn't won an Oscar, and she's not going to get one unless it's a lifetime achievement Oscar or something. All Angela Bassett had to do was to book over like Halle Berry did in Monsters Ball, something of that nature, and why that Oscar would have been hers. Just play the part of a bottom feeder for the amusement of the racist white media moguls, and they would have given her an Oscar ages ago. Just do something that is degrading or subservient, which are flip sides of the exact same coin. She was offered the Halle Berry role in Monsters Ball, and she turned it down flat, said she didn't want to be a prostitute. See, those white media moguls, they had been grooming her up until that point. She played the abused wife in that Tina Turner movie. Then she played the angry ex-wife in Waiting to Exhale, whose husband had done her wrong. See, they thought that after having her portray a black woman who had been abused and betrayed by black men a couple of times, that she would internalize that and then be willing to be the whore for a white protagonist in one of their movies, and she told them no. White supremacists don't believe in taking an L, so they've been basically punishing her ever since. Angela Bassett still works, but they made it clear she'll never be the A-list leading lady that she actually is. And if nothing else, they can deny her the recognition from the industry that she works in. They own the studios. They own the networks. The auditoriums where the award shows take place. It's a totally closed media ecosystem. When they nominate her for an award, it's not to honor her. It's to see the look on her face when they give it to someone else. White supremacists love a cruel prank, especially one that takes a long time to pay off. That makes it sweeter for them. 
And that's the reason why the preeminent white power apparatus of the day, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp, made sure to attack Angela Bassett personally because she didn't jump for joy when Jamie Lee Curtis got the Oscar. Granted, these are insults and slights, but it's not new either. Black people are oversampled when it comes to entertainment, which is why we take what happens in that sphere far more seriously than we should. We're serious about the aspects of the entertainment world that don't matter, and we're oblivious to the ones that do. And that can be dangerous, because when these subjects get raised, there's some of us, our collective intelligence drops 20 points or so, and we revert to being mind-numbed consumers. I'm not going to stop talking about these issues, but for those of you who wonder why I don't tackle these things more often, this is part of the reason why. We need our discourse to remain at a high level. I personally have contempt for all of the institutions of white supremacy, all of the things that it controls. And even if a black person owns a media company, it means very little if they don't operate in black people's interests. I can respect Tyler Perry's hustle, but I have nothing but contempt for his company and for him because of the images and narratives that he puts out. And what's he doing with his position? Same thing Bob Johnson did. He's looking out for number one. That's not in black people's interests. That's just a vanity project. Though I would say if black people focused on building our own studios, we wouldn't be caring so much about who gets an Oscar. It's not about getting what you want, it's about getting what you need. And also being discerning enough where you're realistic about who you can actually get what you need from and who it is who's just dangling a carrot in front of you that you're never going to get. In his attempts to show how much skill he has, the Orange Menace is promising that he and he alone can avert World War III. Well, you gotta give the guy credit, he knows how to up the ante. Before it was a matter of I and I alone can turn around the economy and the crime and all the rest of it. Well, as we all know, he didn't do anything for crime and didn't do much of anything for the economy either. But now he's saying I alone can save the entire world. I guess he figured I alone can fix it worked for him seven years ago. It ought to be good for at least one more election cycle. Well, if he expects to recapture the presidency, I think he's going to have to come up with some new material, though, because frankly, saving us from World War III doesn't seem to be anyone's most pressing issue at the moment. And given how many of his companies have gone under, I wouldn't bet my planet on that promise. But ridiculous as it is, at least Agent Orange was telling his supporters what he would actually do for them. Trump is also promising something else, too, to be the retribution of his supporters. This isn't an election for him, it's a vendetta. And considering that the Trump base are the people who this country has handed everything to for hundreds of years, the people who work the least, do the least, but somehow feel justified complaining the most, this is exactly the kind of red meat they want. They don't have a legitimate gripe. They only have petty imaginary grievances, which mostly come down to, we don't feel secure because we only get 98% of all the attention as opposed to the 100% that we've become accustomed to. So somebody needs to fix this. You know, whiny babies are supposed to be sent to their doggone rooms without dinner. Instead, what's happening is we're allowing the good-for-nothings to eat everybody else's lunch. This is the Karenization of the electorate proceeding apace. <coughs> the white right didn't get what they wanted, so they're looking for a manager to complain to. Yeah, Trump is promising to get even with, well, everyone, it seems. And it certainly doesn't make for good government, but at least he's promising to actually do something for his supporters. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is still pursuing what is clearly the Democrats' new policy platform. Tell people how racist, fascist, and regressive the Republicans are, and you gotta vote blue or the GOP will put you in labor camps. 
Now, at no point do the Democrats promise to reverse or even to fight back against all these laws that they've been allowing these GOP state legislatures to pass. Absolutely nothing about undoing the damage that the GOP has done. Simply the same old, see how fascist the Republicans are. They're too dangerous for you to allow them into public office. And this is deliberate because by pretending to be helpless to undo the damage that the Republicans have caused, Democrats get to see the elements inside their own base being attacked and undermined, which is what the Democrats want. If you're in a position where you can't directly attack your own constituents, just go ahead and sit back and do nothing and let your political opponents do it for you. Democrats only differ from Republicans in terms of their rhetoric. But when it comes to every other arena that matters, they're in complete agreement. You see time and again that when Democrats propose legislation, Republicans unanimously vote against it. But when Republicans propose legislation, even when they're the minority, you always seem to have more than a few Democrats who go right along with it. About the only exception I can think of, off the top of my head, is the gay marriage law that the Congress passed back in December. Republicans voted for it too, and this in the middle of a lame duck congressional session, only a few weeks before the Republicans were set to swear in a majority. So this was something that both parties wanted. The Republicans wanted this to pass, but they wanted to do it in a way that wasn't going to cost them politically. So no matter what the Republicans' rhetoric about gay marriage may have been when it came down to it, they had no problem voting for it. Seems the only time they become gridlocked is when it's something that might benefit black people. Democrats will be the majority in both houses of Congress, but still can't get anything brought to the floor for a vote for us. Gee, if you didn't know better, you'd swear that there was an overarching slate of policies that both political parties are devoted to. They all go to the same schools, live in the same neighborhoods, they're part of the same clubs, and often are married to the same people, and they all get their money from the same donors. The similarities between the two major parties far outweigh the differences. The Democrats aren't promising any payback, or even to get tough on all this Republican violation of the Constitution. When your constituents are under attack, you're supposed to protect them. At least, that's what you would think. So keep this in mind when you have your favorite left-wing pundits telling you about all the wrong the Republicans are doing. Democrats are there. Democrats have got control of state legislatures. They just got through taking back the Michigan legislature. Do you see them undoing any of all of that anti-black policies that the Republicans put on the books in that state? Do you see them retaliating against the Republicans for all of these anti-black racist laws that they've been passing in other states? Or do you see them just saying, vote for us? And I'm going to be hammering this point a lot over the coming months because black people got scared three years ago. Hell, they were terrified seven years ago. What's happening is that one party is trying to get our vote free of charge. And worse than that, as they see it, their job is to make us sit on our hands while our position is weakened by the very people who they claim that they want to try to stop. None of them is promising to reverse any of these things or to even begin a campaign of legislative reprisals. All they're doing is giving us the broken record about how if we vote for them, there won't be any additional laws passed against us. Well, that is, unless a few Democrats decide to go along with it, because they usually do. So, that's the choice as it stands going into the primary season. On the one hand, you've got a candidate promising retribution against us, of course. And you got the other who's promising nothing whatsoever. He won't even promise to up the ante by making sure that all of these right-wing races have to live under the exact same political conditions that they're attempting to inflict on other people. 
He won't even promise to protect his own constituents, and nobody else in his party will either. So remind me again why I'm supposed to be so eager to vote for these guys next year? To vote for people who are literally telling us that they won't lift a finger on our behalf. Well, since that's the Democrats' platform for 2024, at least one thing's for sure, no matter what happens, we'll be able to say they promised us nothing and kept their word. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Aisha Sarpong, John T. Pegg, Henry Fair, Akmal Griffith, and Najee95. Salute to them, and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Hayes here, in a stream of report that Lisa Cabrera has on the FBI's crime statistics. Check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, the FBI just published their hate crime report, and they said it has gone up in the double digits last year. So, I mean, look, this is America. America was founded on hate. So the country is always going to be fueled on hate. That's just the way it is. So... You know, this is why I laugh at these pastors talking about you you got to be about love. Well, please show us what instance since this country's inception that you have showed all of this outpour of love. Yeah, all I got to say is that love must be invisible because nobody sees it. So anyway, hate crimes in the United States spiked by 35% in 2021, according to the FBI statistics, led by a sharp rise in attacks motivated by what they're saying, sexual orientation. But you know what, y'all, no matter what they try to put ahead of us, there is no hate crime that trumps the hate crime that Black people face in this country. You know, they'll talk about all these other groups, but they don't get it like that. And if you remember when they were making a big deal out of the Asians getting attacked, when we went to the report, their attacks were not even in double digits. It was in single digits. So the FBI recorded 10,840 hate crime incidents in 2021, up from... 8,052, which was recorded in 2020, according to a supplemental addition to the agency's annual hate crimes report. The annual report tracks hate crime incidents based on reports from thousands of law enforcement agencies around the country. Uh, First, in 2021 report issued, 
by the FBI in December showed a decrease in hate crime, but it relied on incomplete data, according to the agency. Right, it is incomplete because all of these um, police departments around the country, sheriff's departments around the country did not report their numbers. So as long as they're not getting numbers from everybody, the reports are always incomplete. The annual report tracks incidents uh, from thousands of law enforcement agencies nationwide, by, and then the report is issued by the FBI. So a supplemental report, which includes a complete data set from law enforcement, paints a stock picture of bias-fueled crimes in the U.S. Uh, proportionate to the total population. So it, it first goes into um, LGBTQ, were the second most likely to suffer a hate crime in 2021. And they said anti-LGBTQ hate crimes grew faster than hate crimes against other groups from 2020 to 2021. So they got hit uh, the second most in the country. That's what they're saying. So you know who number one is, right? I don't have to tell you that. The FBI report hate crimes motivated by sexual orientation separately from those targeting people over their gender identity. The FBI recorded 1,707 anti-LGBTQ hate crimes in 2021, a 54% increase from 1,110 recorded in 2020 in those incidents. 1979 people were targeted for their sexual orientation. According to UCLA Law Williams Institute, there were 10 million people in the United States that identified as LGBTQ based on an estimate, roughly one in every 5,000 LGBTQ people in the US was a victim of a hate crime in 2021. So that's what they're saying. So I'm just going to go down to the FBI recorded 6,643 hate crimes in the category of 2021, up 27% from 5,227 crimes reported in 20. So this is the raw numbers and the largest motivator for hate crime was discrimination based on race, ethnicity, and ancestry. Black Americans were most often targeted for their race or ethnicity. One anti-Black hate victim was reported for every 12,000 Black people in the country. So, and this is the number one hate crime in America, racism, racism. 
So the FBI recorded 3,277 anti-Black hate crime incidents in 2021. And 3,906 people were victimized. So they said, you know, during COVID, Asian Americans were disproportionately targeted. So they said for, it was one victim for every 23,000 members of the Asian group. So they had a total of 746 incidents and targeted 845 Asian Americans. Now just look at that number. Now they got the crime bill, right? Look at those numbers. Now it says for Black Americans, the FBI recorded 3,277 anti-Black hate crimes in 2021. Now for Asians who got the hate crime bill, they had 746 incidents in 2021. I mean, just think about 3,277 attacks on black men, women, and children, and for Asians, 746, but they needed the crime bill. The FBI also recorded 909 anti-Hispanic crimes with 698 incidents, accounting for roughly one reported victim for every 70,000 Hispanics in the country. So, and the lowest hate crime, the lowest of them all, white Americans. White Americans, and it was 1,107 incidents, 1,341 white Americans were targeted for their race, accounting for one victim in every 170,000 white Americans. Okay, now, no, the Asians actually had less, but the Asians got the hate crime bill. They got the hate crime bill. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, the FBI recorded 5,191 hate crimes committed by white Americans. And they recorded 2,036, which they claim were committed by black Americans. And 1,405 by perpetrators of an unknown race. What the hell does that mean? The hell, perpetrators by an unknown race? Well, what were they, aliens? Demons? <laughs> I mean, what were they? 793 were committed by Hispanics, 404 committed by perpetrators of multiple races. It's a wonder they don't have Asians down here because we have seen Asians in action on video, but they don't have any numbers for them. And I know that can't be right. So anyway, hate crimes based on religion generally rose 28%, 1,510 incidents in 2021 compared to 1,244 
in 2020, the most targeted religion was Sikhism, Judaism, and Islam. They said the Sikhs were proportionately the most targeted group in the United States, according to their coalition. So, but the bottom line is y'all, you know, nobody outnumber the hate crimes that have been against black Americans. That's what this report shows. And this is another reason for reparations is another reason for a hate crime bill which we know they're not going to give. They, they already are determined to sit in these political offices and go above and beyond to make sure nothing gets done for us. That's exactly what they're sitting there and doing. And it doesn't matter the race of the politicians. They all collectively do this. So they will publish this number and you know, these reports and it'll be business as usual. Nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to improve. They see who's getting targeted the most in this country and they will just continue to ignore it like they always have. But y'all, please tell me what you think about this video. Please leave your comment and subscribe. Don't forget to hit on the notification bell and I'll see you on the next video. Peace, family. What's up again, Black family? Hayes here. Got full spectrum report. Uh, looks like the financial collapse is starting. It looks like clickbait. The financial collapse is starting to show through. We've had email after email over the course of the last 72 hours from individuals in our community and across the financial world who have been asking exactly what they should do with their money. What should they do if they have 100000 200000 maybe even just $500 in the bank? Of course, we're not a, uh, financial advisors here, but I can tell you what I am doing. I'm making sure that all of my eggs are not in the same basket. You don't want to be left outside like the people who have been left outside of the banks right now trying to get their money, suffering through the unknowns that they have no idea whether their amount of money will be secured, whether it will be financially backed by the government, whether or not they will be able to take it out to pay their bills. I had an email, I, I guess it was a messenger from a friend last night. He said, do you think we are in the great depression of our life? And I absolutely do think so. And I don't think this is true because of government statistics that have had their data sets kicked down the road, so to say, always leveraging and changing a new understanding of financial depressions and recessions. I think this is true because the position that the average 90th percentile individual in the United States of America is in today is close to what the people were in back in the Great Depression. I saw a video recently circulating on the internet and it showed stitched together images to form one of the first videos of the times. And it was in 1939. That year they were showing what was happening in New York City. Now this was during 
the Great Depression, so to say, as the Great Depression moved into the time of World War II, and people were not stricken by so much, uh, you know, uh, destruction in their financials that they didn't go outside. You know, we have these great ideas in our minds because they force us to read the exact same history books in every school across every uh, state in the country or across multiple countries. They want you to believe that the Great Depression is pushed into this one little box. And if you don't see children just crawling along on their forearms with their guts distended and bloat, then no one was actually suffering. But that's absolutely not the case. Back in those years during the Great Depression, some people made it. A lot of people continued to be able to pay their bills or work harder to be able to pay extra bills. And that's where we're at today. You have a lot of people that you know that are suffering. And if not, you're choosing to keep a very elite group of individuals who are in a recession or depression-proof industry. For the rest of us, in reality, I know a lot of people who are financially in their worst position that they have ever been before, whether they have student loan debt, a house mortgage that they are never going to pay off, car notes that are absolutely ridiculous for the value of that vehicle. They are just being drowned deeper and deeper into debt. And so what do they do? Well, my suggestion is to take care of themselves first know that we are in the still initial stages of this financial collapse as the collapse doesn't truly come into its full fruition until the united states dollar is no longer the reserve currency of the world and russia china india all these other countries are working hard right now to make it so that this is the next new world economic order they do not want the United States dollar to be a pivotal currency in the world. They want it to become more like a second world or a developing country's currency. And that's what we're going to see happen in America as the other countries rise to power, both militarily in their corporations and through their economic viability. You're going to see the United States dollar, the United States government, and unfortunately, the United States military weaken in its uh, you know, policing powers across the world. Look at Russia with the sanctions. They absolutely do not care that the United States dollar has, and the United States government has tried to throw everything that they have at them through sanctions, at them through the financial world. Russia has basically shrugged it off. Why? Because they are a resource-rich country and they know what they hope to gain. They're looking to gain the entire breadbasket of the world. 30% of the world's wheat production a large amount of natural gas production, a large amount of lithium mining producing capabilities, lithium producing mines, and they will control the future. China is going to take back Taiwan. India is going to rise in its popula uh, population's power over the course of the next 10 years before scientists say that it's going to reach a breaking point and absolutely fall apart. So what we're looking at here is a narrow window for you and me for our families to be able to work together in this community and out in the world and try to do what we can to get ready to become a, a developing country, basically. Now, there's going to be a lot of people in the comment box that are all America first. You know, America's the best. No one's ever going to take down America. And that's a great pipe dream. And if you've got some extra to smoke, go ahead and pass it around the community. What it what the reality of this is, is that that's just a pipe dream. Every single empire fails. Every currency collapses. The one that has lasted the longest has been 
precious metals. So if you're not holding on to those precious metals in amounts that matter, and if you're not able to trade with them in amounts that matter, that means paying your mortgage, paying your car, uh, you know, paying your electricity bill, if they're not going to take your sliver of gold, your, uh, you know, your paper thin amounts, then it really means not. So what can we do? We can make sure that all of our money is not in one basket. I absolutely do not, in my own opinion, hold all of my finances in a bank. If I did, now finances aren't everything. That doesn't mean money because money is no different than this sheet of paper. You see this sheet of paper has intrinsic value, right? I had to pay money for this. I had to work labor at my own cost. I had to go out and purchase this. This has value, but I can't go and trade this with anyone because there's no confidence behind this sheet of paper meaning anything. That's different with the United States dollar right now because there's confidence that if I take, let's just say this was folded off, and if I took this fake United States dollar over to another place and said, hey, I'll pay you with this, they had confidence that they could turn it around and use it somewhere else. But it's absolutely not what you should keep all of your currency confidence in. You need a little bit of precious metals. You need pantry. You need uh, lead. You need uh, that's in form of your ammunition. You need all of these different facets because once the collapse starts as it has, you're not going to see any sort of uh, extreme systemic debilitating overnight changes at a local level. History makes us think that that's how it happened. And if right now you're thinking back to the 2001.com bubble, the Great Depression in the 1930s, if you're thinking to the 2007 through 2009 financial crisis, as we move forward in time, in our lives and in our bodies, when we look back on an event, we think of it as a very small sliver. But when you go back and actually look at the timeline, and isn't it weird that we saw the last financial crisis, the 2007 through 2009 financial crisis, happen in March. We're seeing it again happen in March. So we think of that as a very small sliver in time, but in effect, what we saw was event after event and lots of him hawing in the Federal Reserve, the government saying, no, everything's going to be okay. They're shoring everything up. And then you saw the collapse happen at your level and at mine. People lost their house. People uh, had their cars repossessed. They had to basically get rid of any extra services. And the Federal Reserve literally wants each one of those things. They have told you that their inflation target is to get you unemployed because if you can't pay for your car note, for your uh, house bill, for your electricity, for your phone bill, well, then the companies out there are going to have to lower their prices so that they can retain you as a customer. And that brings inflation down. Their goal is to make you suffer. They've allowed themselves to make riches. They've banked every single day on your suffering and their goal to make it so that this bubble doesn't pop for them is to make you suffer some more. Now, there's a real concern here, and that's that revolution is going to come at some point in time. Now, if that happens, and a lot of people are vying for that, a lot of people are clapping their hands and saying, let's get this party started. Guys, that is absolutely the worst position that you and your family can be in. Can you imagine right now you can go to the store and yes, you need operational uh, security. Yes, you need uh, a situational awareness. You need to know your environment around you. You need to have some form of self-defense and you need to not put yourself into a position where you can be uh, uh, prey to a predator. You can still take your kids to the store today and not have a concern that 
there is a likelihood of you getting attacked. Instead, you prepare for a possibility, a small possibility that you will be attacked. In a revolution, in civil disruption, that becomes a likelihood. You can't take your kids to the store. And so everybody who's out there clapping their hands saying, yes, let's get this revolution started. Let's get the, uh, you know, all the, uh, the accoutrements of getting this going. They don't know what they're talking about. But there is a real risk that we are going to see civil war in the next couple of years. And as the United States dollar becomes less of a reserve currency, as the United States military becomes less of a universal policing force, you're going to see the people in power in the USA strive for more power. Think of it like a relationship. If two people, and let's just say we're going back to the good old days, right, where you had a man and a woman and they were together, and that man and a woman, one of them decided, well, this relationship really wasn't for them. Psychology has told us that there's a good likelihood that the other person who still wants that relationship is going to reach and claw and hold on tighter, and that might push the people even further away. That's the U.S. government versus everybody else right now. They want to retain power. They want to stay in that relationship where you work every day of your life, one third of your life, even more now because 40% of the people need an extra job or they need to make money at a side gig so that they can keep paying their bills, pay for their services, and pay their taxes. The government wants to keep that relationship. They want to be the abuser and you be the abused. And as things change and people start to move away from that relationship, the average person, you and me, the citizens, the government is going to do exactly what that one person in the relationship would have done in those days. They're going to hold on tighter and they're going to reach and claw and dig their nails in. And that's where you see tyranny move us into revolution. This is a very, very precarious time. So when I have people ask me what they should do with their money, how they should get ready, my best suggestion to you is just to acknowledge that this is where we're at. We are in a financial crisis. We are at a world war. Just because you don't have bombs flying overhead today, that just means you're not in Ukraine. That just means you're not in Syria. That just means you're not in Palestine. That just means you're not in one of these countries that's suffering it. Just because you can go and get water today without the risk of the females in your group or family being accosted, that just means you're not in an African country that suffers that sort of social collapse. That just means you're not in Colombia. That just means you're not there. So just because you're sitting on your nice cushion driving your nice air conditioned car and the climate in your environment is nice like it is in mine, doesn't mean that that's how it's going to be tomorrow. And so when I get asked what you should do with your money and how you should get prepared, just please acknowledge that this is the position that we are in today. And our position is going to be devolving into a developing world tomorrow. When going to get water can be dangerous, when going to the store does have threats, when you have a real risk of making the choice of do you feed your family or do you keep the electricity on? So how do you combat all of this without getting scared and without being in fear? Well, you do what you can with what you have, the tools that you have available to you today. You go to the store, a big box store, and you buy a big old box uh, amount of rice. You get the 25 to 50 pound bags and you put it in a five gallon bucket. Or even better, you mylar seal it with some oxygen absorbers inside and then the weevil eggs that are already inside the rice aren't going to hatch. What else do you do? You buy your canned protein, your canned chicken. You buy your canned tuna if you like that. You buy your canned vegetables. You get your flour and your baking powder, your baking soda. You do all these things. 
so that you can cut back on your dependency on the normal order of things, uh, being able to go to the store every single day and just buy what you need by somebody else who has already worked their slave labor to put it away and put it into a nice box for you. And instead, we get back to the roots of our grandparents because without the way that they survived, they survived, we would not be here today. Get back to our roots. That's how we prepare. Stock your pantry, learn self-defense, remain situationally aware, understand that we are in a changing and evolving crisis that is overlapping. We have climate problems, and I don't mean climate change. What I mean is we have extreme weather events that are actually happening around the world. Who's causing it? To me, that doesn't matter. It's the fact that people are being hurt that matters to me. So we have extreme weather events. We have earthquakes. We have wildfires coming. We have tornadic events. We have hurricanes. We have all these different things. And then you have a financial crisis, a banking crisis, a crypto crisis. You have a tech crisis. And you have a world war. You have Ukraine-Russian crisis, a Chinese-Taiwan crisis. You have all these things happening. And they are going to affect us more and more every day. So when I get asked what you should do, you should get ready. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed to be the same way it is today. You and your family should prepare. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to you by each one of you for being here every single day. Come back tomorrow so that you can get more head headlines, more information from America and around the world that pertains to preparedness. By each one of our members on Patreon, make sure that you check out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for real antibiotics by real doctors and real pharmacies. One day you might call the doctor and they say, I'm sorry, we don't have that. It's in short supply. But if you have your own, that's your insurance plan. And check out uh, nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. It's real long-term food storage. Once you have your pantry packed, then you can think about something you can just throw in your car that's lightweight and you can get on the go. Use the code FSS15 for a 15% discount there. But most of all, just remain aware, everyone. Don't keep all of your eggs in one basket. Stay safe. Keep watch. And we hope to see you right back here tomorrow.